0: Yeah, well, I'll have full band this time and and uh it every every once in a while I have I have different configurations of of band whether it's myself or a trio or something like that but I've got a fully fleshed out band to really help reproduce uh all these things that are going on in this record. It's a fairly arranged complex record, so I've got a um fiddle and steel and Extra guitar player, and, and uh, we we hit all the marks as as well as I could ever hope.
1: How many of the songs are you doing live from the hurting kind? Is it all ten, or have you found certain ones that seem to work better?
0: Almost the entire record. I think we I think we do everything, but maybe one or two. And uh, it it's always you know it's always a toss up to see what. Blows best, what fits best with other songs and with previous album songs, but uh, trying to showcase as much of this record as humanly possible. So most of the set will be this new
1: record. What ones are you finding are resonating with fans and also concert goers in general from this from the new album?
0: You know, it's funny, and it's something that I'm really proud of. Is it's a it's a bass. It's it's something different. Seems like for whatever reason, there'll be a song like "The Hurtin' Kind" that seems to, you know, connect more than others. Or there'll be, it'll be a crowd that's an standing, more energetic crowd that that leans towards something like "Long Way Home." Um, and there's there's covers we do and and other things that we put in the set from previous records that with a similar kind of energy. So kind of feel it out as we go, depending on if it's a younger crowd, older crowd, seated crowd, standing. It's uh, It's been pretty remarkable to watch that it's not always the same thing.
1: And on that point of sequencing and flow, that was something I was struck by on the album itself and and varying side 1 to side 2 and I am listening f- via Spotify but I made it a point to go okay what was side 1 what is side 2 because I know right. there's there's if you if you grew up with vinyl you know there's a point to having something on one side and there's something on the That's other side
0: exactly right and, I, and we sequence that way we do that we we look at it as a side A and a side B and there's certain songs that will finish side A better than others and start out side B better than others so it is interesting that we still sequence that way because people don't tend to listen like that. They're not getting up and flipping a record over and starting with a, you know, a new batch, but old habits die hard, you know? And I, I think it makes for, I, I think the sequence, sequencing when you do it that way ends up feeling a little bit more like a movie. You know, it feels like there's, there's an ebb and flow and there's a climax and there's and there's multiple points that rise and flow, so I think it makes for a more dynamic album to continue sequencing
1: that way. Well, and also, the, on the idea of something cinematic and telling a story, the the from a musical perspective, and that's especially what I'm drawn towards, I listen for what kind of a mood is being set by the instrumentation, the arrangements and such, uh, and, I, and side two seems to be... I, I I don't want to say that the mood is necessarily down, but it seems a, it seems a little it's a little more the overall energy is a little lower there like the first side comes right in fairly compared to the rest of the album there's a pretty good flow uh, to it. The second side kind of settles in a little further. Was that intentional to do it that way
0: it was it definitely was and there's it, you also notice with uh with most records you grew up with. It's, seems like the things with more energy or tempo or that are you know pushing forward seem to end up toward the top of the record mm-hmm. and i think you're setting the hook you know i think that's that's what people are typically doing they're they're really trying to you know give people the one 2 and, and uh really get them to immerse themselves in the record and then by side two, if you've got them flipping it over you you've got them and you can you can step back and ease off the throttle and, and say some things you might not have said in the first half and, and uh, allow things to simmer a little bit more than you might would have once you've got through the dating process, mm-hmm. as it were.
1: You You've been talking a lot in interviews and stories about this album, about the concept of the troubadour, and the, and the country-politan sound of especially 1960s-era country, but that's the one that people t- tend to be most drawn towards. What drew you to both of those? And I know one is not necessarily the other, obviously, but those twin concepts, what in your life drew you to those, and why did you want to bring
0: that into this album? Multiple reasons. Uh, my, my dad beat me up with those records, now. Kid, and I didn't. I didn't really want to hear it. I was more a rock and roll kid. And as I grew older, I started realizing how much I loved it, how, much, how big a part of me it was, and how it was informing my musical choices with like Steve Earle or Roseanne Cash or folks like that. So, and it it, it became a big part of who I was, and I I fully embraced it. And loved that music. Always lean toward the crooners. Always lean toward Jim Reeves and Pat and the cleaner, more contemporary, sophisticated side of Nashville than than the honky tonks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and I think that comes from my dad. I think he, I have a theory that, you know, he he grew up in relative poverty, and I think he sought from his music something that didn't necessarily remind him it didn't necessarily remind him of how bleak things could be. He leaned toward things that, you know, they, they may talk like him and sound like him and sing like him, but they're singing of a you know, a little bit better world, a little bit more classy, well-to-do world that I think he enjoyed immersing himself in more than the woe is me misery of, of some of the more honky tonk kind of stuff. And, and that resonates with me as well. And, you know, on the the other side of that is I was looking for a record like this everywhere. I was trying to find records that had this sorts of sensibilities that, you know, the troubadour is standing up front with the rose in his teeth and, and those classic string arrangements and pedal steel and, and uh, an adult record, you know, and I was, I was, at an age and at a place in my life where I was willing to go there. I'm incredibly happy that I did.
1: If you could put together an ideal album of music from that era, from that sound, what Mm. songs would be the first ones to populate the track list?
0: If I had to start with one, it would probably be, he'll have to go by Jim Ray. I think it's, Perfect top to bottom. There's probably three or four Jim Reeves songs I would pick, like Adios Amigo or uh, Four Walls, uh, those, those kinds of songs that seem sparse and seem lush at the same time. It's, uh, it's a it's a act of brilliance uh, production-wise by people like Chet Atkins and Bill Porter up there in Studio B uh, in Nashville that. It's, and it has, it's, it's, a, it's a theme that's been, had variations on it ever since, but it's, those records are just perfect.
1: The moment on The Hurting Kind that stood out most vividly to me was the end of I Wish I Could Write You a Song. After the guitar solo, drums drop out, the buildup yeah. happens, and it feels like there's going to be a big return to the chorus, and then the song ends. And I went, oh, wow, that was a complete, like, I, I was getting Roy Orbison kind of flashbacks and I'm sure, and, and the other kind of sounds of that era, but I went, that's how those songs, you don't hear that today, how was that, like, how did you come to arrange that song to end that way?
0: Um, I'd like to say that I'm uh, um really smart and know what I'm doing, but... <laughs> more often than not I'm following my gut and as I sing, things happen and they feel right or they feel wrong. And and in that moment of writing the song, it just, it, it was really, you know, like one of those running, scared, crying kind of mentalities, uh, of the whole build, 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 build and then release. And I'm a sucker for that stuff. So, um, that song was written around all that sort of drama and, and dynamics. It's, it's a huge part of the song, and the lyric on the page would, you know, pale without all the pomp and circumstance of that track. Of
1: course, writing with legends on this album is, is one of the, the signature points. Bobby brought a- Bill Anderson. Yeah. Yes. And you've talked about it a, a lot in, in the interviews, but what are the I mean, what lessons do you did you come out of those sessions and what I mean, mm-hmm. what can you apply to your songwriting and go, oh, that's how they do blank. What what did you learn?
0: You know, uh I learned that they're just like me. And that was probably as good a thing as I could ever put my finger on because they come at it the same way I do. They, have, they put their shoes on the same way, and they've granted, they have a lot more experience, and they're incredibly talented, and you know, just they're bolts of lightning left and right, but they, they still approach everything the same way I do. Um, and the other thing that I was taken aback by was their energy, their passion, love for still writing a song. I mean, they, they walk in the room stoked. I have the best job in the world and wonder what we'll come up with today. And I'm around people a lot my own age that are already you know sick of it and looking for excuses not to do it. Yeah. And, and it, it's fascinating to me that guys that are, you know, uh, Bill's in it. He's, uh, he's over 80 and he still has the same youthful enthusiasm for writing a song that you know, I, it, that's more prevalent when you're in your, in your 20s, and it's uh, palpable and something i fed off of, and I, and I had a little bit different outlook on what I do for a living and, and the pride I should take in it.
1: What, how do you write? Your overall songwriting process, do you begin with lyrics? Do you begin with music? How does the flow of the creation proceed, even from, from that starting point?
0: It's it's always different. and If I'm on my own, it'll typically just be me noodling around on my guitar and certain things will start happening and make me think of certain emotions or things that have happened to me or things I want to say or I, or I know other people can say. And, uh, sometimes when you're in a room with somebody else and there's back and forth and there's conversation it, it, it usually at some point you'll Someone will say something that sounds like a song, sounds like a lyric, and just follow it down, but I try not to walk into a room with a preconceived notion of what I'm going to write. You know, I I try to just see what mood I'm in and follow that, so it's a lot more heartfelt, organic, you know, natural-sounding song instead of me pushing a square peg into a round hole with a song title that that's really good but might not be meant for that day so yeah i'm i'm uh i'm open minded as to how the news enters the room and how
1: much do you write with an eye towards what others would want to hear not necessarily fans but what 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 i guess the populace wants at any time like what would your songwriting have been like for receptivity a decade ago, five years ago, today, uh, does that evolve at all, or is it all? This is what I want to say, and if people accept it, they do.
0: Well, probably about ten years ago, I, I made the. I had the realization that I was not happy creating for others, and it just didn't. It just didn't do it for me. It was it was it was not fulfilling. And so I just started making music that made me happy that I connected with. And found that I connected with people uh, on a much more uh, visceral level. And you know, at the end of the day, I grew up on a lot of pop music and country music and a lot of mainstream commercial music. So those sensibilities are built into me. So the, the things that I like to write and want to write, it's not a far cry from what other people would you know grew up with and. And would be into, but I can't spend any of my time wondering what other people want, because that's, that's, I'd just be guessing. I know what I like, and I have to just hope that there's a lot of people out there that like the same things that I do.
1: Looking at the overall environment of music, what is popular and what is being released, and there's obviously a difference between the two. What you're, mm. well, a, a lot of the country, countrypolitan at one time, that was the dominant form of country music. Today, sure. country, what at least by what's on the charts, is uh, arguably a completely different genre, both lyrically uh. and musically. From what you've observed of what is out today, who Are there any artists that come close to your broader approach to songwriting and musicianship that are maybe kind of breaking through on some level to get some broader attention in in country or even other pop, rock, whatever genre music?
0: I think most of the people that I would mention in that regard aren't really music row folks. You know, the Chris Stapletons. Uh, Miranda Lambert, um, Leanne Womack, even even Jason Isbell, folks like that, I think. But yeah, it's it, as you said, it's a it's a completely different genre. But you know, it, I I saw an interview with Vince Gill, and he, you know, somebody I think was trying to get him to say negative things about the current climate and he was like man he said I just I wish him the best he said does it sound like my music no but did my music sound like Merle Haggard no did Merle Haggard sound like Hank Senior no did his sound like Jimmy Rogers no and so it's all going to adapt it is what it is I think my issue with most of it is just you know quality less about the sound and the sounds the way that people sing, you know, there's plenty of country, quote-unquote, country voices out there, but it's just the subject matter and, and lyrical content just seems half-hearted or, or just half-bold. I, I don't think that, I, and, I, and I think they're pandering, uh, I, think, they're, I think, they think they don't believe that, I think they're underestimating their audience as to what they would accept and love, and uh, that's a shame. And I, and I also think that it's really gotten away from making you feel something other than, you know, having a good time. I know, uh, country music was always built on hardship and loss and love and heartbreak and trying to make it through the world with a load on your back. It's, it's not that anymore. And I, I think there's still a, a really large amount of people out there that crave that thing. And so I'm going to try my best to get it to them.
1: Last question for you. Who would you like to work with on future projects? If any, anybody, doesn't matter, musician, songwriter, who are you? do you have as a goal, if anyone?
0: If I had to say one person, Probably would just freeze up and not be able to speak uh, or you know have anything creative come out of me. But uh, I wouldn't care. Just to just to sit at her knee and and listen to her stories and listen to her laugh and, and you know maybe write a song, maybe sing a song with her. That I'd, 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 I'd go out on top.
1: <laughs> She's still going. There's still a definite chance it could happen. Thank, yeah. thank you him. Thank you so much for taking some time to, to chat uh, chat with me today, and, and I, we look forward to your performance here in Eau Claire at, at the Plus Sunday night. Again, the total time is 6 to 10, including the other acts that are performing, uh, but you'll be taking the stage, obviously, as the main act, uh, John Paul White and the Hurting Kind. Best of luck on your travels, stay healthy, and uh, have fun in Eau Claire on the rest of the tour.
0: Thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate it. That was a great great chat
1: with John Paul White on his drive from Chicago as he's continuing on his tour. When we talked to him as we recorded this edition of Got Time for a Quick Story, of course, this is in anticipation of his Eau Claire concert, among many other concerts. And it's a great album. I strongly encourage you listen to The Hurting Kind. Just what we were talking about, the way the songs flow, the authenticity to the sound it's it's something you've you've got to hear in 2019 to hear that there is there is a way to make that sound relevant to today listen to the hurting kind by john paul white again thanks to my employer and my my radio station where i work at greatest hits 98.1 for providing the studio for our interview with john paul white and As always, you can listen to, got time for a quick story, the usual places, Apple, Google Play Store, Spotify, Stitcher. Go to those places, take a listen, make sure you subscribe as well. Got time for a quick story? I'm Luke Anthony.